Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. This week, we're covering Season 1, Episode 5, titled Upon Awakening. Respect and enjoy the podcast. All right, Aaron, what do you think of the fifth episode here? I, I thought it was another good one. Um, I will say that there was a few... There's a few quibbles I have with some of the stuff on Terminus. Um, actually, some of the stuff on the ship, too, that could be just like maybe plot holes or like sometimes we talk about how the tale and ambitious story. Sometimes you just have to you have to ask your viewers to make a leap. Uh, I always talk about like metaphorically, you got to like go down a couple miles of dirt and gravel road to get back onto the highway. Um, or it could be that like there is some next level stuff going on that I haven't anticipated. None of these things are plot holes and it's all going to pay off in the, the episodes to come. We're only halfway through that's yeah. happened already a couple times in the course of the season. So I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, what did you think? Uh, yeah. I, so, so anybody who's listened to this podcast over the last four weeks here knows that the best part of this show to me is the empire stuff. And so obviously that is conspicuously missing this episode. Um, I know we're getting back to it next episode because Apple likes to publish teasers for their stuff. Um, so I, I will say with that said uh, that I still enjoyed this episode pretty, pretty well. Um, I liked the point of no return sort of analogy they had with the black holes. I liked the uh, trying to extricate yourself from a cult and sort of how that happens that they displayed with Gale. Um, the Anacreon plan seems to be unfolding, even though I think there is another layer to that. I don't think we've, we've, I don't think their goal was to crash one of the Imperial ships on Terminus. Um, no, I mean, must the stated goal was to commandeer one. So I was like right. kind of blown away when it stacked up onto the planet. So, yeah. So uh, I don't know. There's more to come on that. I'm certain. But the other stuff they're doing, especially with Gale, um, I, I really liked. I know it's it's not. You know, it's taking us back in time, right? And some people might look at that as like a step backwards instead of forward. But in storytelling terms, I feel like it was warranted um, and it connected me more with this character. So going forward, maybe they can do more stuff with her that I will care about more because of these scenes. Yeah, I saw that one of the most common criticisms uh, was that why are we going back and the first 15 minutes of stuff about Gale that we already knew? Because the pilot episode definitely kind of told us that. Uh, how would you respond to those criticisms? Uh, I would say we knew the facts, but we didn't feel the facts. Um, there, there's a difference between intellectually understanding things and emotionally feeling those things happen. And I, yeah. I, I think as someone who's lived through... Uh, an extrication especially you i think you had a similar sort of experience to gail coming out of the the cult that we both grew up in um that stuff really hit home and i started to really understand gail on a whole nother level understand you know not just that she's a brilliant mathematician but she's always been curious right this has always been a part of who she is right right and you know the how it would be very attractive to her, Harry Seldon trying to tackle a disaster head on and 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 avert as much human misery as possible through the application of logic and reason uh, yeah. versus her home planet that's burying its head in the water uh, rather than confront something. And I know? have a sneaking suspicion that in the next uh, four episodes or five episodes, however much is left in this season, 
her parents are going to die because they both stubbornly mm. refuse to come with her, right? Her father said, I'd rather my daughter die probably, than go with you. I mean, at this point, they're probably dead uh, just from age. Right. Like, and 35 <laughs> years on, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you wonder. Yeah. Because she was saying, like, this is an impending doom, right? The This guy is prophesying all these... Uh, yeah. I don't know if it was the change of the seasons or what, but yeah, there, there was an incoming uh, devastation, an incoming problem, let's say crisis, that this society was refusing to deal with just sort of placing their their faith in their seer or sleeper god um that yeah now i'm sure that's gone off i'm sure her parents are dead i'm sure that's going to weigh on her um but we'll see to the extent i wonder if we'll ever see synax again like they went back and told the tale and we already saw like how i mean i thought they did a pretty good job of showing how like the landing platform is underwater for the Imperials, something they probably don't bother to keep up or elevate because mm-hmm. they just assume the world just completely isolate from everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder, I wonder if we'll ever go back there because you're like, why, why would Gail want to, because it's just going to be your, you know, drowned world and dead parents. But uh, I didn't maybe. get a sense of the scale of that society. I don't know if like the impending uh, catastrophe was going to wipe out just their small, raft flotilla i i don't yeah. i don't know what it is it's it's a city on stilts i guess right um, much like a, a house in florida on the coast sure um I, I don't know if that's all that exists on synax or if that's just a small portion of the population there and the rest will be still alive and fine hard to say i mean they do say that the severe hurricane force winds and the resulting like tsunamis and flooding is going to i mean it seems like dale gail doesn't think there's any amount of but on the other hand uh her per college professor said that eventually the flood waters would recede and we could save them so, so like i don't think it's hopeless exactly but yeah mm-hmm. but yeah so, so it's like i, I don't, I don't know I, I i don't know if we'll ponder the fate of synax going forward because the whole whole galaxy seems fixed to fall apart so yeah I've got some things, uh, some some announcements regarding our show, Foundation and Podcast. Uh, we were able to procure screeners recently, so we're going to be able to start getting our full coverage podcast out at the same date and time the episode release, which is, means whenever the episode releases on Apple TV, the podcast will pop out on our website. So as soon as you get done watching it, you can enjoy our, our thoughts and comments on it. And to keep it all fresh and relevant, that means we're going to split the feedback off of that podcast and release uh something on probably the following tuesday so we should have like you know like uh you should have regular uh foundation coverage you got the the date and time on on friday and then midweek you got your foundation booster shot on tuesday uh and then we'll keep doing that uh throughout the 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 season the other thing is uh, david s goyer uh graciously agreed to uh, come on our podcast and talk about uh his show and answer any questions that we might have uh, that's going to go down this Friday. If you're hearing this, you only have a couple of days to act. Uh, so if you have a question, I have a request. Send it to foundation at baldmove.com. Make sure that Goyer is in the subject because Friday, come Friday morning, I'm just going to search for this. On my, it's Goyer, G-O-Y-E-R. Uh, and just put whatever questions or comments you want to make. And I, I can't promise get everything, uh, get it all to him, but I will try to get as much as I can. Uh, along with our thoughts and stuff. So I'm really excited. Uh, I've been listening to the official podcast with him and Jason. 
uh, and various uh, writers and showrunners uh, uh, on the show. It's been it's been really informative, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun talking to David. I think so. Still, the possibility that this is a very elaborate troll, but. We'll it's, it would have to be it have to be, it's increasingly elaborate I, I guess well I guess we'll find yeah. out on a zoom call we will <laughs> see if the man behind the curtain is actually a wizard yeah uh, all right let's get started with the recap but first let's take a quick break we start off before is is what they're now calling this they don't even give us a time frame they just say before mm-hmm. uh, it's a flashback mm-hmm. to a baby being baptized uh and in this case it's the seer religion which means it's getting its stones put in uh its face it, it, i wonder how that works as they grow in age but okay uh, it's it, it, stay the same size they don't like upgrade them they're just like these little teeny yeah teeny gems. so they get smaller i guess in in relation to human yeah yeah is that the same is that the true about our eyeballs like our eyeballs are exactly the same age is that why babies size? look like aliens when they're born it, it might be like their heads disproportionately. <laughs> I, but I heard like the eye, like eyeballs are the one things uh, that don't that don't grow. Hmm. Um, All right. So maybe maybe not. I don't know. Uh, don't quote me on that. Gail still has her stones. So we know that it's before mm-hmm. uh, and two others um, along with her are sent to investigate a condemned university and they find an instructor removing some of the analytical books forbidden knowledge. Uh, she begs him to leave those books behind and go before he's uh, found and killed. And while he tries to convince her um, the whole time that there's something to all the science stuff and eventually the others find him, he's taken back to the tribe and the religious people drown him. And then later that night, Gail swims down to his body and takes the analytical text that he was killed for and begins studying them. That's a big chunk. That's, I know. That's, 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 uh, that's, that's, like, I'm about to chew that for a minute. Uh, I love, first of all, like this show looks amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say it a lot, but like this opening scene of this just jaw dropping space porn uh, where Gail is kind of having her nightmare about the, I guess, I don't know, the, the black hole swallowing her in the form of a tidal wave on her planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just sun, their sun shining through their planetary ring. And it just, God dang, in 4K, this, this show looks amazing. Um, but I, I like the, we, we, you made allusion to this in the, uh, your comments in the, the introduction or your, your thoughts on the episode, the way they, we wove this, uh, recurring nightmare that Gail has this fear of the, the black hole because of the event horizon, the, the, the fact that you can, you know, take one more step and then there's no way to reverse course, mm-hmm. uh, obviously is a commentary on what she's found herself into, uh, now, like, uh, she didn't know it at the time, just like an astronaut is getting closer and closer to the wonders of the black hole. will will probably not feel when they begin to get spaghettified. <laughs> she did not know at the time that she was get signing up to be put on a 35 year old cryo coffin when she filled out a math contest for Trantor. Yeah. Uh, but she did. That is actually, that was the point of no return when she, and, and honestly, offering one to the dude's 50 clamshells to send a message off world, that was the first. So honestly, I, I, I think diving that, uh, with who she is, I think diving into the ocean to grab those books is the point of no return for her. You're, there you go. There you go. And like I said, it's a it's a content. You know, it's you, you don't you don't know it until you've crossed it. I thought right. that was pretty a pretty good way to get us back, you know, like uh, to get us back in. And I feel like I'm continue to be impressed by how well Gail's narration 
is kind of like supporting the themes of the, the episode without feeling I, I it, dis, it at least doesn't come across to me as like being too highfalutin or too like high concept. It just it, uh, it it's it just it feels right. Yeah. And no, I'm with you. Um, all, all these episodes have had that, uh, you know, thematic connection and it makes it richer, I think. And and there's all these things that she gets to hold on to, like, you know, after destruction, there's going to be rebirth. And what is the thing that leads you from the state of destruction to the the state of rebirth and creation? It's knowledge. And I think, you know, if you subscribe to the theory that uh, Salver Harden is the love child of Raish and Gale, then this cycle of destruction and rebirth is literal. You know, like out mm-hmm. of this death of Harry Seldon and the death of uh, Raish, you you have this special child that's born. Um, I thought that stuff is is really good too. Um, yeah, there there's so much in here thematically to talk about. I, I I love the sort of reversal of typical tropes because a lot of the times in movies or TV shows you'll see the arcane forbidden knowledge being of the magical variety right where it's like right. oh they're experimenting with the dark arts and it's mm-hmm. you know gonna open a portal to hell and then you got a vent horizon uh mm-hmm. the the movie um but in this it's totally reversed right it's like the religious people are the ones who are forbidding this knowledge the arcane knowledge here in this case is math and science mm-hmm. and actual knowledge um it it's it's just an interesting, you know, flip flop of that. And also these, the mathematical knowledge has near magical powers, right? Through psychohistory. Right. Um, and it's we like know, fortune telling. we would not call it magic, but it is extraordinarily powerful, predictive powers. Yeah. Um, and then also the concept of like the truth, having nothing to hide from investigate or nothing to fear from investigation. Right. I think is, is ultimately like the thing that it, it is trying to tell you here um, and that anyone who would have you ignore uh, or, or have you limit your knowledge has something yes. to hide and something to fear. And that is dangerous. Oh, a hundred percent. I also like a lot of the symbolic stuff they're doing here. Like when their mentor holds out this, this theorem scroll to her and they're like, take this. And she was reluctant. He goes, I'll hold it for you. And that turns out mm, grisly yeah. when he's actually at the bottom of the ocean and she God, has to get it from, from being tied to him. And also I thought so. So on the official podcast, Goyer and, and the crew were talking about how they wanted, you know, the, the, the me- me- method of execution would be this person weighed down by their, you know, heretical texts, you know. But yeah. I couldn't help but notice if that's the goal of the seers, <laughs> it also reveals an underlying hypocrisy because it ain't the sacred text that weighed this man down. It's the three fucking stones they tied to him. Right. So it's like it's you their kind of, not his. You, you kind of get it, you know, but both ways like exactly, exactly. It's the weight that they added to him that is is causing him to sink, not not the knowledge itself, which I thought I don't know if they intended that or not, but I, I thought it was great. Yeah. And also just the weird affect of these people coming in this man's execution, smiling, joyful, like it's, uh, you know, uh, I forget what the his she said, uh, becoming your father, pious and uh, pious and, and uh, looking for hair, you know, always looking for heretics. And his, his her father is just like, you know, got this big smile on his face. He's so satisfied that they're doing this righteous thing. Mm-hmm. It's really sickening. 
you know it is uh, and then that underwater garden of bodies um is a macabre display of ignorance that is it really is shocking and t- horrifying at the same time yeah Especially, yeah. I mean, I mean I, look, none of this is like super heavily veiled metaphor with right. the, what they're doing with climate change and, you know, hurricanes and high winds and just shit like that. It's it's all happening today, too. And that's what mm-hmm. makes all of this sticking your head in the sand and refusing to believe, uh, tr- trust in the science and believe in knowledge as our savior here. It, that's what makes it all the more horrifying to me. Yeah. Yeah, that we're repeating these things on. Uh, I mean, it's it's the exact same fucking thing that's happening right now. Yeah. And just like you saw that, like, you know, Gail's trying to point out facts of the matter. Like, you know, it's been really warm and, and her dad's like, you know, I have to go out further and further to get the algae blooms. And, you know, Gail's like, maybe those two are connected. And her mom's like, no, yeah. it's just it's monsoon season. You and how many so times close. have we seen this <laughs> just year, just a few years ago? We had a senator bringing a snowball onto the Senate floor and oh, be like, where's Jesus. the global warming? There's still snow in Washington. Checkmate scientists like, right. This is literally the exact same fucking bullshit. Yeah. Uh, so and of course, the idea, if, if you followed the production of this show. This is something Goyer and company have been working on for four years. You know, like it, it was a long time to get the series um sold and in pre-production and in a covid hit so this is not like you know it's it's uh this is something you could have this is almost evergreen you could have made this plot anytime in the last 30 years but holy hell are we literally going to get to the point where the water is at our doorsteps before we do something of course by then probably going to be too late yeah you'll have to you'll have to weather a little destruction to get your rebirth at that point did you uh I, so Gail untied her professor, um, Mr. Soren here. Do you know why? Or was she leave? Like, what was she untying from him? Because, like, I feel like I was waiting for him to float up and that was going to be the thing that gave her away or something. But, like, she unties book? him and then. Huh. So maybe, like, are each is each thing tied to him separately, maybe? I think so, because she had to tie it. I think the rocks were already tied before she tied the book to him and then and she had to take the heresy and add that to it okay yeah. all right because at first i thought she was untied to do i but i, I couldn't figure it out and i'm like well if she unties him he's gonna float up i know probably how, yeah. how bloated corpses work uh-huh. i've seen i've seen enough sopranos in the wire to know know how these <laughs> things go but uh sure alas uh that's not what happened uh, so then later she's eating with her parents and she's concerned about, like you said, the dying algae as well as their inability to gather supplies to feed themselves. And she's continuing to study uh, these texts and she pays to send an illegal type beam message to Streeling University, which we know, of course, is where Harry Trant or Harry Trantor, Harry Selden is um, on Trantor. The seers find out that someone has entered a math competition and her mother warns Gail to let all of this go. She doesn't, of course. She continues studying. And then she gets a message from Harry that says, you know, some people doubt you, but in an extent, uh, or as an extension here, me, um, with this Abraxas solution, but he's giving her his support and inviting her to tour. Um, um, I guess we can go through the rest of this, too. She tells her parents what she's done. Her father, like, refuses to support her. She has her face stones removed. This kind of all is just getting back to the point that we first met up with her. Um, in fact, there is the one exact scene that we already saw as they see her off. 
and this is the point of no return i suppose for her yeah and it's like brings it you know brings it all home that you know her nightmares always end with her drifting towards this miraculous and then not being aware that she crossed the line because she's so distracted bearing witness to something most minds can't even comprehend and this is all intercut with her you know her reading this and like doing the math on the clay pot or whatever she was doing at all Remind me of this interview I saw of Bill Gates where someone asked him, this was like, I don't know, 20 years ago. And someone asked him like what he does for fun. He's like, oh, I read calculus textbooks and I just laugh and laugh. It's such a good time. And like her, like I've, I mean, I, I gotta, I'm a lot more sympathetic to Goyer's take on the podcast. Where like I sucked at math. I hated math. I was mm-hmm. decent at it. Cause I had a, a father who was a real ball buster and, and made me do it. But I fucking hated that stuff. Uh, I, I can't, and I've heard some people talk about how much fun it is to play with numbers and how satisfying and beautiful and symmetrical and pure mathematics is. I always thought it was a pure cast iron bitch. So <laughs> I could I did not find this material relatable, but also I'm not the type of person who could apply this stuff like she does towards the end of this episode. And they're just again, it's something they've already told us about how naturally gifted she is for this stuff and what aptitude she has. And the professor told us and now they're demonstrating it. Um, but I thought it was uh pretty effective yeah. um do you think because i was looking at what like all the things that um harry was saying in her message where he was recognizing her as being special something special about her mind do you think that was part of the process of harry selecting her that like he knew something about her you know the the and this goes if whether you subscribe to the salver is special and that she has a little bit of precognition and whether she got that from Gail because Gail secretly her mom. I know I'm asking some loaded questions here, but like what, what did, do you make of that? Do you think Harry, is this part of the plan? The fact that he has someone with these gifts and an integral part of the, the, his organization that he's kind of squirreled away or what, what do you make of it? I don't know what to make of it. Gail is not that big of a contributor to the foundation in the books. Um, right. In fact, she's in it very little, at least in that first book that I've read. Um, so we're kind of off the map with, with Gail, with, with a lot of this show, um, which I think we'll talk about later, but I really don't know what to make of this stuff. Okay. I was just seeing, I, and I, as you mentioned, at the end of this podcast, we're going to do a little bit of kind of like uh, book book uh, versus show versus pacing versus like some speculation. But like you're saying, we're increasingly getting off the maps where like the relationship between the show and the source material, except for the central themes. Like, I think it's pretty faithful to the concepts and stuff. But for in terms of characters and motivations and the actual outworking of plot, we're getting pretty far afield so far, I think, as an an improvement. Mm -hmm. But it is hard to be like, what? You know, when I when I saw like, yeah, what what are they actually trying to, to get at here? Um, yeah. I think I looked this up for the first podcast and I forgot to talk about it, but, uh, did you look into Abraxas? No, I did not. So I, I they, they, they talk about this in an official podcast cause, uh, Jason Conception asked, uh, Goyer, like, what is the Abraxas theorem? And, and I, everyone just kind of laughed like, nah, we fucking don't know. It's a, it's a mathematical MacGuffin, like whatever someone in the you know 17 the year 17,000 AD or whatever could could come up with math wise sure but I looked into it and uh Abraxas is literally just a mystical word like a mysterious word 
um, hmm. from like uh, Gnostic and uh, Kabbalistic origins that is connected to all this kind of like demonology and mysticism. Um, and I think it literally just it is just like a, a, a word that means mystery. So it's almost like the MacGuffin conjecture. <laughs> <laughs> sure. They could they could have called it that. But uh, I don't think there's any there there. It's just uh, it's just a mysterious word. OK. I mean, it's effective. I, I get what they're doing with it. Um, the other thing I get from all these scenes is how well they capture the uh, experience, like I said, of of extricating yourself from a cult, right? This idea that knowledge mm. will set you free. Um, you get the curiosity that then turns into to, to research or, or studying and then turns to doubt and then it turns to uh, disbelief. And finally, you make some of those hard choices like pull, the point of no return, right? Pulling out the stones yeah. Um, yeah. for Gail is certainly a point of no return. At this point, she's got a physical Physically manifestation her. of her inner yeah. um, be- her inner lack of belief, right? <laughs> There's no hiding that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like getting an A for apostate tattooed on your forehead in this society. <laughs> right. And and they and, also think they nailed about it is how furtive and secretive this activity yes. is. Yeah. Like, you know, most times when you learn something new and it's something that's like changing your life and blowing your mind, what you can't wait to tell your friends and family. But in these religious right. like cults or sec- even secular cults, this feels dangerous and scary mm-hmm. because it's going to have just the knowledge is going to have consequences in your life. So you got to read it. You got to stay up late at night. You got to go to the library across town. You got to, you know, uh, be, be, you got to clear your browser history uh, because, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, the, <laughs> it's good practice. I'm not but, but yeah, but, but, you know, like, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it has, it, it, it it's, it's, I think it's something that a lot of people can't really, unless you re- grew up in an environment like that, the concept yeah. of forbidden knowledge and that being more than just like your parents kind of might be pissed that you you know, watch a rated R movie before they thought you, but like, it doesn't really change your life to like, this is, you know, can, can in some cases be life and death. Yeah. So I thought they nailed how, how scary and clandestine and how isolating it is. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have a chance to bring your family along with you because you, you know, you have to get it all kind of firmly worked out before you're able to like come out with it. And then you're already convert and it's hard to, so I, I thought they did a really good job. I, I do kind of hope that they visit this planet again, um, Synax, because I kind of want to know more about, like, how did Gale extricate herself from this situation? Um, how did she go from the Acolyte of the Seers and in line for third spear of the plant people uh, to getting her stones uh, plucked out and just walking off the planet? Like, why didn't she get the watery? I don't know if they explained this in the first episode. But I feel like, like this I, happened in a, a day. Like, not all the research and stuff, like, that happened over a long period. But then when she takes her stones out, I feel like it's that morning, and then she's on a, a flight out of there. So who does, so that's, so, so who does she go to to get her stones taken out? Like, Fair that's question. A, that's a really weird, it's like, like uh, you know, if uh, you went to Fundamentalist Christian Planet, uh-huh. And they had one abortion clinic that's like, all right, if you're <laughs> gonna section. if you're gonna get executed next morning, we'll give you you. Uh, we don't like it, but we'll give you an abortion just before you escape off world. Like mm-hmm. I, I would like to know because you know again, I, it, it's not necessary because this is just lore and world building. But I am I am a lore whore. I am a world building junkie. So I do. I would like to get some answers to that because it, it gotcha. yeah, like yeah, where do you go to get the the quick 
quick stone removal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where do you go to get your apostate a branded onto your head that they don't just shuffle you into the eternal fires of damnation <laughs> right after? It's like that's the thing that they do to you before they slide you down to the hellfire shoot. You know, so, so I think there's um, some implications of what we see in this episode that might lean toward that. Like this is an event that happened pretty recently, right? The destruction of oh, yeah. their civilization. Uh, the rising waters. There are people there. There's a professor in this episode uh, from that university that's been condemned. This is a pretty recent event that all knowledge has been essentially uh, outlawed. I, I think like that's part of it, right? Um, You can kind of see like there might be another group of people on this planet who are, on the fringes um, who aren't yeah. part of the seer religion, who still believe mm. in the old ways of the universities and the knowledge. There is that kind of that, that gathering. And they, they even apply that in the first episode because when Gail's having her stones plucked out, the woman doing it says, you know, some people decide, you know, pray one last time or something like that. So it's like this. Yeah, there is and, and kind of a, some resistance. There's a beautiful, a beautiful little touch at the end of this scene where she, she's, getting invited to Trantor by Harry Selden and she, she gets that message and then she thanks the sleeper, her, Mm -hmm. her God for Mm -hmm. that. And that to me is like, yes, she no longer believes in this religion. Yes. She's getting out of it and she's hoping to take her family with her, but there's still that, that ingrained sort of, uh, almost, almost ritualistic, um, acknowledgement of a God within her. And I feel like that is so true to life, right? You get past the intellectually, you get past the religion, but there's still that remnant of it within you that would have you thanking your God for something. And then, you know, maybe catching yourself and going, oh, I probably shouldn't do that anymore. But also it's still there. But I also think that like, that's also like a lot of the, you know, great thinkers of our time. Like you think about Galileo, you think about uh, Isaac Newton, not atheists. No. Uh, in fact, in their writings is like the study of the natural world was their way of glorifying God. I think mm-hmm. even Charles Darwin uh, denied that, that, that he was an atheist. Maybe as in, later in life, he said he's maybe leaning agnostic, but like, and I don't know, but there's like a social pressure. But like I said, with, with right, Galileo right. and Newton, no fucking way. They actually, you know, believe believed in God because and, and that was the thing that drove them forward. So I, I don't think that Gale. Gail's probably frustrated that she feels like she has to make a choice and she probably thinks that this, in the sleeper's mm. plan it probably you know like she's maybe following the true path uh, so she's got like I don't know a little, little bit of a messianic figure but I, I thought that stuff was uh, really cool and interesting too yeah um, okay let's go to the now well yeah yeah I guess that's now it says now we're back to the pod from the end of last episode where uh, Gail awakens and she lands on the ship. Um, she tries to get out of the room she's in until the knife that was used to kill Harry is pulled into the door like a key. The ship activates and she cautiously walks around until she finds a control panel and discovers she's the only one on the ship. And also she is in the future or what she thinks of as the future. Um, about 34 years or so. There's a lot of interesting stuff that if you blink, you miss it. Like when the magnetic system snatched a knife out of her hand 
and it says the mm-hmm. race arrival protocol has been initiated, mm-hmm. meaning that I think. And again, this is not book knowledge because we're, this is not in the books. But like, I think that Harry built this outpost slash ship with some kind of plan in mind involving Raish that mm-hmm. didn't involve him or Gale necessarily. Or maybe it shows that he has a whole bunch of different like variables of like maybe there's a Lewis arrival protocol and maybe there's this or that. Um but I, I thought that was interesting. And also, what does it imply in terms of like chaos theory <laughs> that got name checked in this episode mm-hmm. that uh, Gale is arriving to the race arrival protocol? Yeah. The man that predicts everything. But like, is that something that he's like, you know, Harry as he's dying is like, make sure you throw your knife into the pod so it'll activate your program because I didn't write it. I, I think this stuff is fascinating. Like, you know, how do you solve a puzzle when you're missing a piece? And that's what Harry's kind of doing. It seems like there's some things like he didn't, you know, we already talked about, he didn't intend to survive the trial. So like what other things did he not intend that he had to make a little bit of few tweaks and how terrifying it is that he, you know, he's making these tweaks and then dies and there's no more tweaks to be made. Yeah. Like, or the tweaks have to be made by other people without foreknowledge necessarily. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, I I think this, uh, um, leans even more into the idea that um you know the the conversations the argument that they had in that previous episode between Raish and, and Harry that was staged um i still don't think it's certain that that's true but this pushes yeah. it much more in that direction oh i i'm almost because like i think that um this just implies like everything if you think about those first two episodes again like yeah. uh how Raish felt until about halfway through the episode when he talked to Harry and then, you know, he was distraught and talked to Gail about, you know, like, you know, how because, you know, he was. You know, didn't want to do this. And then Gail's introducing doubt in his mind about whether this is all true or true. But then he kind of found his faith and did it. Um, I just think that stuff was the, the, the idea that he does. That was a last minute change. Like I feel in my mind, that was like a night or two before Harry died that Ray started acting weird and mm-hmm. started interrogating. Like, what do you mean by it? There's missing puzzle pieces and stuff. Yeah. Um, I just think that like that just makes it even more remarkable, like how last minute and how last ditch it was. Um, these, these change of plans and yeah. the size of this facility kind of belies a purpose other than just Gale. Like, what is this fucking thing made for that's putting her on the the, the, the slow ship to Harry's birthplace? Mm-hmm. What was Raish supposed to do? Like, if 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 it, you know, was it programmed to take Gale somewhere else if it detected her? Why? So and also, like, why? Why do you detect this shit on a knife like this magnetic <laughs> door latch? Like, you know, did it? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, why do we why do we use uh, our phones to unlock our front doors? You know, <laughs> it's like I mean, but this is a world that they could check her DNA. They could have done a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was um, I, I, I'm I'm just curious about how many more people are going to come. How many more rooms are in this ship? Like, when is she going to get access to more of its features? What is it going to do when it like? I mean, these are all things that the show wants you to think of. But uh, I just wanted to run them down so everybody in the the audience is thinking about it too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so they introduced the concept of the era imperial in this, which mm-hmm. is essentially their calendar. Um, 
or well, it's not the calendar system, but it's the era they're in on a calendar system, which is most likely not Gregorian. I I don't know. It's possible it is, but I don't know how that would be oh, true yeah. when you have a galaxy spanning civilization because our calendar right. is based on the cycles of our solar system and specifically sure. like, you know, the orbit and rotation of the earth around the sun. Mm. So it, it begs the question. Well, that's not the right turn of phrase, but it, it makes me wonder what a galaxy spanning civilization would use as the foundation, no pun intended, of their calendar system. What do you use? Is it the rotation of your galaxy around some central perceived central point of the universe? What? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've I've seen it done. I've seen it done where like the science fiction author sees it as, yeah, like there's some kind of sidereal time that they're like some kind of absolute, uh, you know, accounting for all motions of the stars and the universe and the galaxy and the galaxy through the universe. And I've also seen things like, you know, I I keep coming back to Warhammer 40 K because you know, Dune is based on foundation and Warhammer is just Dune with the serial numbers <laughs> filed off and everything turned up to 11. OK, um, but like in 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 the Warhammer, they keep they everything is tracked based on the solar year because, you know, Holy Terra is where humans came from and wow. everyone still kind of reveres the burnt out husk of Earth even 40,000 years later. So we still they still and there's a whole bunch of complex like timekeeping to make adjustments for you know, warp travel and all that. And I get fucked up with daylight savings, like man. I would hate to see if I lived on another planet with a different yeah. day night cycle. Wow. Oh, no, there's there's like there's whole grim, dark portions of the story where like wars fought over time differences and stuff. So I keep on. But, but like, you know, um, this feels like so, so like you're right. We don't know if this is like how far in the future they are. We only know it's at least 12 millennia into the future right based like, on their like, say the, calendar system which we don't fully understand what that would be yeah that's true that's you're right we don't even know that those years actually you know fully you're you're, you're right so yeah it's uh, just a big but but that's the thing it's like and, and also it's important to realize that this isn't the cleon dynasty that's just the latest that's just been the latest mm-hmm. this tweak to this stability they've made to this empire that has stretched back millennia of some kind of time so it's it's just like this is just a vast amount of time more than you know, oh, this is exactly 12,000 years in the future. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm inclined to say it's like 10,000 because of what you said. Like maybe, you know, a human, a human civilization would hang on to some, you know, uh, soul-based, SOL-based uh, calendar. Yeah. So, so maybe and we are like 10,000 years into the future from our current existence. Yeah. And also, like in twelve thousand years, how could you ever say that you never lost a few years here and there? You know, like that would be like us talking. I mean, twelve thousand years is a long fucking time. Like that's pre-human history. It's a lot. Of we haven't years. had that many years to account for. Uh, and there's been so yeah. many calendars. You know, like if if you read some kind of like Egyptian chronology, you would have to have a whole bunch of things that you, that you would have to put together to even make sense of what that date was. So I could True. easily like it, it might you know like in terms of absolute time, it's kind of like we're in the year 2021. But what the fuck does that mean outside of a very narrow human reference? You know? Yeah. Um. But that's what's so cool about the whole. <laughs> Empire spanning a whole galaxy lasts in this time is like there's so much. This is almost like uh, Tolkien mythology, where you're talking second and third ages, and you know pre you know, prehistory and pre creation myths. Like who, who the fuck knows? 
And I just love this stuff because like it's very easy to get really myopic on on these uh, concepts like a calendar. I mean, yeah. it's such a simple concept, right? We keep track of the days and nights and seasons and years and that's pretty much it. Uh, mm-hmm. But but that concept is an artificial construct of humanity and it's very myopic. It's very relative to our experience of the universe. And what would what would change about that? I just I'd love to think about those things. Oh, yeah. Like how like, you know, when you think about like shows like The Expanse, like would the day and the year survive this the colonization of the solar system, let alone the galaxy? My right? God. So uh, yeah. it, it, it is it is interesting. All right. We go to Terminus where the Anacreons cloak their flak cannon to hide it from someone other than the foundation. I assumed the Empire that just made sense. Uh, then they all start shooting at the fence around the settlement while Salvor's dad hands out weapons to the scientists. Eventually they stop and Salvor tries to talk some sense into one of Farah's men. Uh, he's not interested though. And then the Imperial ship jumps in. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was pretty clever that like, you know, we got this, this, this giant, you know, we thought it was going to be a siege weapon to blow up the city and then it gets cloaked. And like Hugo says, like, what the fuck? We, you know, it's only cloaks an area of like exactly the size of the the giant planetary cannon. So, like, what what the hell? Um, oh, I was super I, confused about this. I thought there was a huge continuity error where they cloaked the cannon and then in the next shot just didn't cloak it. And because I kept seeing in the background, I'm like, do they they couldn't have forgotten something this big? And then I realized this is a cloaking canopy. This is like right. a cloak that only kind of you know if you think of uh, of a uh, an awning off the top of your house, right? They put a flat cannon under that. That's yeah, what like those is. camouflage nets they used to throw on jets and stuff. Uh-huh. Like it doesn't. You can when you're underground, it's like that's a fucking jet with a tint on it or right. something. But we're right. in from the air. You, it just looks like a jungle canopy or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think you're right. And also, there's some scenes from clearly within the cloak field too. Uh, but I, I I shared your confusion on the first time too. I was like, huh, I wonder if they're yeah, surely they're not losing track of that stuff. It's too big. Um, I, I was kind of curious about Salvor's um, estimation of the Anacrons here because she says like they're, they're desperate and they're scared and scared people make mistakes. I don't know if I agree that they are scared. I agree that they're desperate. They do not seem scared. They seem resolved. I think there'll be some fear there, though, I suppose. But I, I it's weird because like, I, I felt like... Uh... Salver was just kind of like seeing what would stick here because I and the, mm, even yeah. when she was saying that the guy didn't seem like he bought it. No, you know, not at all. Um, and there's also like, you know, this uh, this required this plan required a lot of things to go right that did. And I imagine there might be some nervousness and fear that uh, if they get it wrong. Then they're all they're all dead. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if she can't bring do down they, the shield. Why do you think the Anacreons Anacreons are firing at defense? I have no idea. Intimidation to rattle them, but, but yeah. like these scientists were already like cowed the moment they showed up. Like there's a scene of, uh, you know, Lester from the wire, uh, Salver's father, you know, trying to push a rifle in the scientist's hand. She's like, I'm just a scientist. Go, You'll be a dead scientist if you don't pick up this fucking rifle and shoot. the Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, these guys were even the wardens were like had their shit and pants on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, about the only one that wasn't scared was like Hugo, Salvor, and Salvor's dad. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, I think if it was an intimidation tactic, it was working. Uh, mm-hmm. but 
then we move on to the Imperials scanning the planet. They spot the Anacreons. They get in contact with Terminus. Salvor tells the Imperials that they should stay clear, but they want to get eyes on Farah, Farah, and and give Terminus ten minutes to move her to the tower, um, which I guess is going to give give them. The, yeah, I, I'm not totally clear. There, there's some leaps of of sanity here <laughs> with what mm-hmm. this plan is, but who knows? I, I don't understand their tech and all that stuff, so maybe it makes sense. Uh, yeah, Salvor's- I don't think they have teleporters though, so they would have to like if he wanted to lay eyes on her, he'd have to send the shuttle down and the, or send her back up. And I guess the tower is kind of the spaceport or the city center. So I suppose I yeah I didn't but, really but see yeah, like, docking why- procedures or anything like that. So right, right, or maybe this place is so rustic that he wouldn't like meet anything else. Maybe I, I don't. I, I'm not exactly like I said. I do think there is a little bit of uh, fast and loose being played with some stuff here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. Um, Salvor's comms are jammed by the Anacreons, just just locally where she stands out by the the fence. Uh, Salvor realizes the Anacreons want Farah in the tower, and why? Because the field arrays are in the tower, and she's going to destroy them. And mm-hmm. so she rushes back to town. And I thought they they showed the Anacreons being smart of like cutting communications at certain times like let mm-hmm. just enough information to flow to get to their ends but then you know it's like okay the imperial demanded to meet the person and take him here as per imperial protocol probably that's what it is imperial protocol mm-hmm. and then um, as soon as they start a little back and forth where you know they might talk themselves out or like share information like oh by the way they have uh, a flat cannon mm-hmm. that might pose a danger to your ship uh, they cut it off. They cut it off there. It does make you wonder when, you know, when the guy asked for a stats report, why does she say like, hey, they have this big ass cannon right outside her wall. Might want to keep a distance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel you. That's it's maybe like an oversight by her, but she's I don't even think she fully understands that she's going to be in control of this conversation until the conversation is happening. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, I think they did a good job. If Like, she is not a military person no she's no. resourceful and she's strong but she's like she's like a ranger or a warden she's like aragorn mm-hmm. at the beginning of lord of the rings she's not and she's never had yet, to face you know? any never... kind of threat of aside from bishop's claws right, right. some some right. wild animals so that she has completely like cowed at this point like you know she's yeah. pulling arrows out of them and taming them as pets and <laughs> sending them scattering just with a shot into the ceiling you know so like mm-hmm. you're right she's and which is why the whole colony's kind of gotten soft why she keeps getting denied for her you know uh requests for weapons and requests for drilling and you know uh clearly there's only like two or three people in this whole fucking settlement that are comfortable holding a gun and know what to yeah. do with it so yeah, I kind of I I think you're right. Like she's not ready to give a sit sit rep, you know. Uh-huh. For sure. Um so then we go back to Gail. She can't input any commands because she's not authorized. So instead, she begins searching the the data banks here. She finds the terminus is already set up. Uh Lewis has taken over as commander after Harry's death and that Rachel uh, Rachel was the murderer. Harry and then she gets another recording of Lewis questioning Raish who says he did what he had to do and then finally she gets Raish's execution video and it gets real sad real sad damn why would you ever do this why would you ever want to see the execution video of your loved one unless 
you want to burn it into your mind in like some kind of like revenge kind of way. And I mm-hmm. wonder if they're setting up South, um, like Gale to be a different version of Farah, like, you know, extremely motivated by her personal grief and anger that she feels because like, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, if I, if I heard that Cecily got ran over by a bus and there was high def surveillance footage of it, you know, my wife getting dismembered right. by a 60 mile, I would be like, I don't need to watch that. I really don't. I really no. don't. Um, she's executed by some criminal and I wanted to become like fucking Frank Castle and become the Punisher and hunt them down and throw away my whole life on a vengeance. Okay, then sure, yeah. I want all that pain, inject it right into my veins. It seems like, well, of course, she's also young and stupid. So maybe she hasn't realized how scarred up she's making herself. But I, I feel guess. like it is. Do you feel me on this? Like, this feels yeah. like a person about ready to do undertake a mission with a capital M. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a bit of a stretch by the episode to get where they need to get. Um, and there are a couple of things in this scene that feel like that. Um, and I don't have any foreknowledge of this. I, I don't. None of this is in the books, Um, but there's a line in this scene that tells me something. It says something, and I want to talk with you about it. Uh, A casket he himself designed when when speaking about Harry Selden's coffin, um, they specifically mentioned that he designed it, which to me says there's something more here. Why include that detail? why, why watch the execution video, right? It's because they're getting to somewhere they need to get to with this character. Yeah. And I also thought it was a real giveaway when they said the coffin he himself designed, they did a close up on Harry Seldon's face. You saw just, just, a, just a barest of a smug smirk. No, no, <laughs> no, no, that didn't That's happen. But face. like, it, yeah, no, but I, 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 as soon as I heard that, I'm like, there's like flashing red arrows with like the Harry's. I mean, yeah. And so I designed it. it, Did he? I was looking at the coffin, like, okay, what features could this coffin have that could possibly be important? The one thing I came up with is that this is shaped roughly, and I know most coffins are, but this is shaped roughly like the vault itself. I noticed the same thing. And I, I, I don't know thing. if that's going to be important. Um, I, and also there, there are other things uh, about stuff that happens later in this episode, like her destination. We'll find out is Harry Selden's home planet. Yeah. Which is, is did he send himself in, in some kind of like destruction and rebirth style uh, resurrection coffin that's going to send him to his home planet and he's going to be like waiting there for her. Dude, this is like, yeah, foundation three to search for Selden. Like, <laughs> right, did he, did he right. soft launch himself into the Genesis planet? And now he's like coming <laughs> back via. I, yeah. Especially in conjunction with the final scene. I, I mean, this is a mind blowing thing for a person like you and me. They're book readers that like, is Harry alive? And it's uh, all delivered in a single like six word line, right? That's sure. That's seems like a non and, and, and the most boring milk toast person in the galaxy delivering it Lewis, you know? <laughs> right right um and then there's yeah, also like other stuff a, they're doing in this scene where you know um clearly race is delivering a message to gail saying don't lose gail gail don't i, I know you're thir- 34 years in the future you're going to watch this for some inexplicable reason right don't lose faith in the plan uh and you can you yeah. know quoting what she said to him in the second episode that you can still solve a puzzle if a you know a piece or two are missing mm-hmm. um and for some reason he 
completely chokes on the either I love you or Han Solo I know. He just stutters I, I before he gets blown out the the uh the old space gate. What do they call that the airlock. Yeah. The space gate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he got he got the the belter traditional belter execution mm-hmm. from the expanse. And I think the line I understand more than you when he's talking to Lewis is definitely mm-hmm. a hint here that this is all part of the plan between him oh, and Harry. I understand what I've done, chump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let's take another quick break and we'll be right back. All right, so Salvor is too late to stop Affair from being removed, or not removed, moved to the tower. So she runs toward the tower where Farah is digging out her eye, which turns out to be an EMP device, and destroys the field relays and takes all the fences offline. Pretty metal. I love like, it. I wondered if... Um, I, I was actually thinking, like, I wonder if is going to explode like a bomb. Yeah. Same you know, kind of like what we saw in the first thing, because like then that would make perfect sense why Salver saw that this is the end for her, but it was only the first stage of her plan. Mm-hmm. Kind of sort of bummed out that that's not what happened. Uh, the eye thing was cool, though. Like they, they pointed it, it out was. that it's a fake eye right earlier. Yeah. And we yeah, just thought it was part of the, the scars that she's got. Her, her injuries. Right? Sure. Yeah. And it probably was like it's probably like, yeah, you know, yeah. related, you know. Um, and there's something poetic to that, that you use the damage the enemy gave you to hurt them, to wound them. Yeah, turning a weakness and, into a strength. Mm-hmm. And also, like, as they pointed out in the official podcast, you can't get much more biblical in terms of justice than the concept of an eye for an eye. A literal so eye. So I thought yeah. that was uh, that was pretty, pretty slick, too. It is. Uh, I liked it. Now, I will say the first time I watched this, I, I thought, oh, that's a bomb. And Lewis is dead. And Farrah's mm-hmm. dead, and everybody who was standing in the vicinity is dead. Second time through, uh, it don- or, or you know later when none of those people were actually dead, I was like, okay, oh right, EMP device. Yeah, they called it a disruptor, which I assume is just okay. essentially a 17th century or no, I'm sorry, uh, 12, 12, 120. How do you? Yeah, how do you? How do you say? 121st century. It's the. It's the 22nd millennium no it's more than that isn't it uh no it'd be yeah, the we're in 12th, sec- we're 13th the millennium? third millennium so yeah it would be like the 12th millennium yeah to some kind of 12th millennium uh uh crazy emp device yeah because yeah you can't fit an emp in something the size of a weeble wobble no i've seen oceans <laughs> 11 it's, yeah, it's big yeah, it's a it van barely fits thing. in a work van yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, then Gail gets a scalpel intending to kill herself, but she's suddenly thrown to the ground by a gravity shift in the shower, which looks very cool. Uh, I have some questions, but we'll get there in a sec. Uh, She goes to the control room, finds out they're approaching their destination, but the computer won't tell her where she's headed. So she uses her knowledge of the galaxy and mathematics to figure out what their destination appears to be, which is actually nowhere because it turns out the computer is censoring the view screen. Because she's not authorized mm. to view it. Uh, so she decides to put on a space suit to go get a real view of the, the situation. Yeah, I mean, so the, the problem I have with this is like this ship did the most violent flip and burn and she must be at the literal center of the ship's axis for this to actually right. play. And like, OK, uh, because damn. And also what? Yeah, like what if the ship had just killed her? It seems uh-huh. like there is a lot of um, things being taken for chance uh, in the Selden plan here, which is is a little bit worrisome. But uh, 
Yeah, and I also, I, the show is also playing very fast and loose with with these concepts, right? I mean, this is a, a civilization, as I mentioned before, that has a supreme grasp on gravity. It can control it, and you see an example of it in this episode where the the knife is pulled from her hand, right? And maybe that's not, maybe that's magnetism, um, and right. it just pulls it over there. But like. Things like the pool that I mentioned on the, the pool. They, the they specifically put that in to show that the gravity is artificial. It's not like propulsion based. Yeah, it's not. It's not uh, what perpendicular to the plane of thrust. So like. It, right, right. I, exactly. It, it, the expanse uses this stuff and makes interesting scenarios that are also beautiful, right? They, they have. Yeah. Beautiful choreography and it uses the gravity as like a central focal point to, to put all that around. This show is yeah. playing a lot faster and looser um, with what yeah. gravity is going to do in any scene based on the rule of cool. I think I a hundred percent. And it, but it is beautiful. I will say the scene of the slow motion, her flip and turn and, and in this sonic shower or whatever the hell it is, a suicide shower. Uh, it did look amazing, even though I yeah. don't think it made literal sense. No. And I, I think people, I understand if people want to get hung up on this because this is a pretty hard sci-fi mm-hmm. series. Um, and, you know, I appreciate when The Expanse sweats those details. But yeah, and this show this does a fair amount of sweating show. the details as well. But, like, it does seem like it's a curious blend of this high science fiction and, like, almost science fantasy. But also, they are 12 millennia ahead of us, so... right. You know, some of this some, is you, seem you can magical. kind of wave away with the Clark. Yeah, is this advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. But in this case, it seems like, yeah, like they're. And, and I want to give right them way. some props because they do talk in the official podcast about how hard it was to conceptualize um, and then write and film the scene where she is planning or, or trying to figure out where she is um, in in relation to the other stars and everything or where they might be headed. Because they consulted with mathematicians and and uh, physicists and people who actually know how to calculate these things and had them sort sort of give their input on all of this and then you know tried to artistically turn that into something that the audience could intuitively understand without actually understanding anything she's saying because I don't. Yeah, I thought the their. Um... Their point was right on that they're trying to create something like when you watch ER, you don't know what the fuck the doctor and they're saying, you know, 50 cc's no. of blah, 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 stat and give me this. And, and you don't know what they mean, but what you get is that they are very competent in what they're doing. And, yeah. I, you know, I know enough of geometry and trigonometry and to kind of get the gist of what they're doing. She's using like parallax, like redshift to de- determine like the direction she's moving. And she's using known oh, like, positions say of like quasars and things. I think when, yeah, because like, she's like, yeah, are we like, she's sorry, are we speeding up or slowing that? I forget. And sh- the computer wouldn't tell her. So she's like, well, just call me up these, uh, the expected, uh, you know, uh, I forget exactly the spectrographs from these, this star, this star, this star, and then compared them the you know, like how blue or red they were based on that to see. Gotcha. So like, okay, that's like cool. I said, it's like, I, and I, I like, you know, this kind of astronomy, uh, space time kind of stuff. If you're at Stephen the Hawking's uh, brief history of time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. 
I sound insufferable. Oh, what I'm saying is like, <laughs> I, I didn't get all of this, but I got enough to like, if you probably went and poked around, you could, you know, uh, an astrophysicist could probably do the same thing she did. And yeah, it yeah. works thematically because, you know, like her, her creator said from destruction comes rebirth. She's personally been destroyed mm-hmm. and also tracks of the black hole. If you get spaghettified through a black hole, then your atoms will exist for, from your perspective for almost forever. But black holes evaporate very slowly. She mentions like you're always like shrinking, but you're never quite gone Mm -hmm. uh, in this state that she's still got something, a kernel left. And that's her knowledge. Uh, You know, she's personally destroyed. She has nothing. She's had everything taken from her. Yeah. Uh, And apparently even her agency, because the computer won't let her do shit except access her information and her nimble mind to assemble it. So I, I thought that stuff worked really well. Yeah, I thought so, too. Uh, the Anacreons attack Terminus and Lewis apparently, you know, survives the EMP attack as did right. Farah, who has now taken Salvor's mother hostage. The Imperials begin to land as the flat cannon tracks them. Salvor manages to get her mother out of Farah's hands and they fight. Salvor wins, but unfortunately there are more Anacreons there who take her mother hostage again. This 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 whole scene feels like destruction and rebirth because they end up in the exact same position they were in before. <laughs> uh, this is the other like a problem I had the episode. Um, a couple of I guess in here. When their shields fall, they did a very good job of showing us the strength, the disposition, and uh, position of all the various troops, and they showed like the masses of the Acreons charging, guns blazing. The fact that they didn't hit anyone, apparently, I really was thinking halfway through the scene. It's like, oh, this must be another stage of the ruse. They're not trying to kill, especially when they cut back and like, you know, you find out that she's actually trying to find the manifest. You know, it's like, oh, they must they must not want to kill anybody. They just want to scare them and hurt them in the direction because like, holy fucking Imperial stormtroopers, Batman. These people can't hit the fucking broadside of the barn. Yeah. But then the very next scene, it's just, it's a wholesale scene of slaughter. Mm-hmm. So I felt like either put the wardens behind cover. Cause it's honestly, you know, they're telling the story of these people don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're just standing out in the open with a gun held at their waist level, like cringing. And that's fine. But they should have all died. Yeah. Like maybe a Salver's dad is savvy enough to like get the cover. Um, but I, I felt like, I don't know. It's like, it's felt like an unforced error to have all these people exposed. And then you show these people shooting and firing, but no one dies. But, but then there's just absolute carnage in the next scene. So it's like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It felt, it felt, uh, it, it felt weird. Like, you know, the incompetence apparently of the Anacreon charge and then how ruthlessly efficient they were at killing their way towards the tower. Yeah, I agree. Um, some of the execution on this is not perfect. And that was one of the examples, certainly. What I'm still confused because Ferris stated goal is help commandeering an Imperial starship. Uh huh. Some sub goal of that is getting the manifest of the deliverance. Is it? The I, man- I thought not- it was a navigation module. Is that? Well, that's what they, that right? that's what she said in the beginning. But her mom said she wants to crew manifest from the deliverance, which is the oh. the slow ship that took him here. Okay. So like, how? And and clearly, here's an imperial starship. She did not commandeer it. She fucking destroyed it. Yeah. Uh, I thought when it first got winged in the you know the extreme lower position, it was going to crash land, but still be you know because it's an imperial starship, it's mm-hmm. probably tough. It'll still be something they can salvage. 
No, no. it blew the fuck up. This is like done, donezo. So I don't know what to make. I don't know what to make the of that. Manifest? There's there's clearly something more to come, and they need Salvor alive to guarantee success at getting it. Is the thing that I got too. Um. Yeah, the manifest is interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Is there somebody on there, like in their colony, not that would on be important, there. or yeah, potentially not on there? Yeah, like is Harry? Like, did they? Did they know? Because you know, clearly they're pissed off about Selden, his prophecies, quote unquote. You know, putting the galaxy on a boil and getting their planet bl- blown up. Uh, yeah, but surely they wouldn't be like suspicious that he would survive and gotten off or. Are they looking for Gale Dor? I, I don't know. I mean, clearly this is a mystery that you're supposed to wonder about, and it's going to, you know, uh, it's going to pay off in the episodes to come. But you got any ideas on that? No, I really don't. Um, I do want to talk about that big leap in logic where she sort of blames, you know, Salvor and Harry for the destruction of her planet. But we'll get there in another scene or two. Uh, I also liked. I thought it was pretty funny the mom stuff. Where she's like, uh-huh. fucking, you know, like she's almost like Rick Sanchez, like, fuck it, kill, you know, take out your hostage. Let's restart. So, yeah, I never felt that mother daughter bond. And I bet she's the totally right. Like, like, kill, kill your cover, kill your bargaining chip. And then we'll start from even here with my gun trained on you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, what the fuck are you yeah. going to do? Yeah. But like, it's also cuts a little close enough to how Salver kind of feels about her family. I think that like her mm. mom's like, you told me to drop, right? Oh, yeah, mom. That's all you meant. She didn't say like, oh, look, mom, I love you and everything's good. She's like, hey, you just did good, ma. Yeah. <laughs> and ran off. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we go back to Gail, who is on a spacewalk. Still can't see where she is going. So she applies an infrared filter and realizes they're headed to a dark star. I This this uh, scene will give me nightmares when, when she is you know back pressed against the ship and then she jumps away from it i'm like you're dead mm-hmm. you're done gone see yeah. you later and then i realized she was clipped. tethered to the yeah, ship yeah. and i'm like oh thank goodness but that's even terrifying then, it, yes i think i've had a nightmare of me doing a spacewalk and doing something like that and the thing the the fucking carabiner just breaks or the the mm-hmm. you know i'm too big a boy and the strap snap snaps <laughs> right. or something like that or the is... ship flips again. Did you see how violently that ship must have flipped? Yes. Flipped? That thing it's it's it this you know, space is terrifying. Like, you know, I I've I've been watching season one of the expanse to kind of get ready for the new season and, and uh my son's not seen it, so we're having fun, good time nice. watching through. But like, you know, the season one where his uh uncle spaces Diogo uh-huh. and he's just spinning in the utter blackness of the belt and it's just terrifying like I felt like it was really reminded me of like Neo trying to step outside his office building where she's like you know like even though she knows she's attached to the ship mm-hmm. she's just really it's one of, it reminded me the first time I repelled like yeah I was just shitting my pants until I finally completely trusted the harness and like oh this is so bad but like you know like and and I thought that was really really well done. How they show how like naturally terrifying this must be, especially for someone like Gail mm-hmm. who comes from this backwards planet that doesn't truck with technology and has kind of turned her back on that. They don't have a spaceport that's like heavily trafficked and all that. Never been in space before. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it felt it felt cool. It serves, you know, I, I don't know if they intend this, but it definitely serves a, a indicator of how far she's come in her you know, quest for knowledge, right? Like, cause the thing you said about trusting that the, 
the mechanism you're putting your life in the hands of is actually going to work. It takes a few tries. It, ta- it takes a, mm-hmm. a firm belief that this is a sound system, right? Um, yeah. In order to fully trust that and get comfortable there. And I feel like she's, she's gotten there because she trusts the science. You know, she trusts her suit. She trusts the tether. She trusts all that stuff. Uh, so we go back to Terminus where the Imperial ship approaches and the demands that everyone stand down. Uh, <laughs> Farrah gets a black eye. And then she makes Salvor watch the destruction of Terminus, blaming Selden for destroying her homeworld by predicting the destruction of the Empire. Hugo is injured in the fighting. The Anacreons shoot down the Imperial ship, and Farrah knocks out Salvor. This is a pretty um, big leap in logic, I think, to say that did you? Harry, I thought it made sense. It, it, well, it makes sense if you believe in psychohistory, I guess, and if you understand that this is part of Harry's plan. Well... I don't think it requires that. Even if you think this no. is nuts, like I don't believe in QAnon, but I do believe it almost tore our country apart and still may well. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like she, she just, if psychohistory is completely wrong, but enough people believe it and get people amped up and agitated and it just, you know, makes people do something crazy, then okay, even though so, you don't so literally they, believe in it. The, she thinks that he inspired some terrorists to go in there and blow up the star bridge, which you know, the empire yeah. blamed on I mean, their... any prophet of doom. Okay. Like, e- e- that makes yeah, more sense. like I, I think, um, and then there's an open question about did Harry try to engineer the fall because right. he wants to engender something better. Like, you know, humanity is being held back by an empire. He wants to, I don't know, have a galaxy wide democracy or something reform. Um, or for his so legacy. Like, I mean, the, because that's the thing like right that's the thing this is all about the fall the rise and fall decline and fall of the roman empire and mm -hmm. before rome was an empire's republic it was a lot more you know democratic never democratic as we were today but like you know not for nothing they had a senate and and uh, uh people were elected and they served terms and whatnot um and i you know like it could be that harry you know as enough uh, student of history to know that there was more democratic things and that's kind of what you need for stability like you know we didn't choose democracy necessarily because everyone sat at a whiteboard and like oh this is the best way to do it it's just like you know is a way for uh as as human continued to humans continue to urbanize and you know, industrial and tech, technology continued to increase, and our population increased. You, it was the most stable form of government. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I wonder if he, like, he engineered this fall, like, and it was worth it to him to get a thousand years of darkness out of the way, and then get humanity back on a bright and shining path. Than it was, you know, to to just continue to just just fuck around for another ten thousand years the empire crumble anywhere away and it takes you know ten thousand years to get back i I don't know Mm -hmm. um that could be something it could could be literally his fault is what i'm saying yeah no there there are many ways you can read his intentions um and the the effects of that the chaos theory we we didn't talk much about the fight between salvor and uh uh farah um yeah and I don't know, like, it's like it, it, I, she's the hunt, grand huntress. So I figure she's like a mighty warrior. And I'm like, I didn't initially I'm like, I and when I first watched this, I'm like, I don't really buy that Harden's hanging with her. But then the second time I, re, I, I realized slash observed that her hands were cuffed. So she's uh-huh. like literally fighting with both hands tied in front of her body. <laughs> yeah. So like, OK, well, maybe, you know, Harden, who's no slouch for when it comes to personal defense and combat and probably training that a lot of simulating, blah, blah, blah. 
maybe she could with a you know great hunter with no weapons and her hands bound could you know beat her to a stalemate Mm -hmm. um also fuck that sundial should have gone water clock (laughs) i I like that uh i I, yeah the show itself show itself knew knew they got it wrong on the sundial that had to conspicuously show getting broken getting destroyed (laughs) pretty good it's useful for something though stabbing your enemies that's true uh, all right, final scene here. Gail returns from her spacewalk, knowing her destination, and commands the computer to change course because she also knows that it's Harry's homeworld. Uh, and that's not a place she wants to be if everybody thinks she murdered him. Uh, it doesn't comply. Instead, it reenacts Harry's death for her. Yeah, well, does it? Or is this something that. <sighs> I don't I don't know what we're seeing here. It's a really weird glitched out version of him dying. Like, are we seeing like some kind of rebirth of a AI bootstrapped Selden consciousness? <laughs> hmm. Like, what? What? The, the, what the fuck? I um, guess. Yeah. The big question here is if this was supposed to be Raish exactly. on this ship, what is the purpose of showing Raish this murder? Was Raish not supposed to be the one who murdered him? Was he? Mm. was it supposed to be someone else and Raish was supposed to be the Gale in this situation or what I don't know because like plan obviously included 35 years of cryo sleep and regardless mm-hmm. of who or what like that's the thing I keep coming back like this was all part of the plan whether it happened with Raish or Gale and that the fact the plan must be capable of being saved even if you make a dramatic personnel change at the last minute and not only that but the computer just running the fucking thing gets the identification of who it's holding wrong yeah, uh, that, I mean, I'm 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 really rooting for them to connect all uh, all these dots together because I, I like what they're building. But, man, there's a lot of questions. Of course, we're right here in the middle of the season. You should have a bunch of questions for sure. Yeah, um, I, I do think what I'm kind of expecting of this is that there will have been some message coming from Harry to his home world here so that when she arrives, she's not going to be greeted as a traitorous uh, murderer, but she will be greeted in some other fashion. I don't know if it'll be like a heroic fashion or if she'll be like uh, their new leader and the one to like take over some other plan he had on another planet. But like there's going to be some twist here. I don't think she's going to be a villain when she gets there. Oh, for sure. Well, I don't know. But if she is, I'm convinced she can talk herself out of it. I don't know. I'm like I said, I'm I'm I can't wait to find out where where this goes. OK, um, that's the end of the episode. Yeah. So here's the part where uh, we've gone a long time here and we're still got a pride another 15, 20 conversation ahead of us. We're going to split the feedback off starting this week. Uh, if you're listening to this on the first day uh, on, on Monday when it releases, then the feedback episode will probably at Tuesday, maybe Wednesday. Um, and then going forward again. This Friday's episode, when it drops, we'll have our episode out, same date, and then next Tuesday, we'll have the feedback episode. And you can send feedback in to foundation at baldmove.com. If you have an, a question for David S. Goyer, make sure you throw in the word Goyer somewhere in the subject line so I can easily find it. It's G-O-Y-E-R, because uh, I'm going to do a special harvest of like questions and stuff uh, Friday morning. And you want to make sure you get that to me before Friday morning so you don't miss the cutoff. Um, and I don't know, maybe we'll get to talk to him more than once. Maybe we'll get to do a season wrap up with him. 
Uh, I'm certainly going to try to angle for that, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. But this is this is for sure an opportunity to to get your questions answered, and I'd like to pass that on. Uh, so foundation of baldmove.com, get your feedback, and uh, we will see you this Friday. But before you go, if you are up on the books or you kind of are, and you know uh, don't really care about spoilers, especially since we're talking about this being a very different series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim and I are going to talk about a couple topics that uh, have come up this week um, based on our, again, informed book speculation and questions about pacing and stuff. So I think I've, I've, I've stalled enough time to give the people that don't want to hear spoilers. Please turn off the podcast. Now there's nothing, nothing but potential book spoilers awaiting you here. All right, let's talk about it. Um, first topic pacing. What are we talking about here? The difference between the book and the show in terms of pacing. Uh, so there are what seven books in the foundation series there are the three originals two prequels and two uh sequels is that correct i think that's right i don't they're either seven or eight um and they're supposed to be eight seasons of this show right so the timeline seemed to line up pretty nicely with the number of books covering one book per season after watching the first half of the first season i'm gonna say that there is absolutely no way they get through the rest of book one in this season. Because uh, yes. in the first book, we are not even a third of the way through that book. Um, I agreed. Th- there are three big changes in the foundation uh, for the first book. They start off as this sort of like, you know, the setup of it, right? The, the what is Terminus? Um, what is the foundation? And then they evolve from you know, this fledgling uh, settlement society to a religion and then they evolve past the religion with the, the whole Anacreon Thespis stuff to a merchant society. So those are huge changes, not just on like a, you know, Oh, well they got to do all this stuff. No, they, they have to change everything about Terminus and the stories they've been telling have been so small in scope comparatively i just don't think there's any way we get even halfway through the first book in this first season yeah and i i I don't know that that bothers me because clearly you know like all the stuff that they brought in about race thus far i i understand this came from one of the prequels so um i think you know are they a third of the way through the seven book series you right. know, uh, it, at, at this halfway point in the first, that seems like a less scary way to be like, oh, okay, well, that's not bad. So, like, if they could bring in this isn't like Game of Thrones where everything is just like you got Game of Thrones and then you got the Storm of Swords and then you got the Clash of Kings and then you got, so, you know, like this is even the, in, in order of publication, this stuff wasn't like chrono, chron, uh, in chronological order. So, if they go back and interleave all that stuff, I think there's plenty of material. Um, and then they're also just expanding on stuff like this Klingon stuff that didn't exist. Uh, um, I, I, I don't know if the, if the sequels or prequels flesh out the, the Gale stuff, but I think there's, yeah, but, but I also, I think that, um, people seem to get antsy about like, yeah. you know, the 15 minutes of like, Oh, this is just repeated information. If they go back and like, you know, we, let's say we get a 20 minute, um, vignette of uh salver harden's childhood you know and like what if they what if they reenact the scene of her mom crawling to get her underneath that like i could see them doing that and i could see it pissing off a lot of people and they're again saying that like we're just retreading information we already know and i do think that 
there is a lot. I, 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 I side with you and you said, well, yeah, we knew it intellectually, but we didn't know what it was like emotionally. And that's important to their character. Yeah. I, I think that, but, but like if, if it feels like the show is deliberately slowing down the pace, uh, I, I could see people getting, losing their patience with it. I'm not saying it's happened so far, but I mean, it could maybe. be a case where we get through the plot of the first three, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as written the first three foundation novels. Um, mm-hmm. But we've pulled in so many pieces, so many elements of what makes the prequels and the sequels what they are that you won't really miss any of that stuff uh, because right. it will kind of be contained. It won't, it won't, it, you know, conceptually and thematically it'll be contained within the, what we get in the series. I, I don't know. I, I don't really know what the plan is. Maybe, you know, when we talk with Goyer, he could uh, perhaps illuminate that some though. He has on the official podcast yeah. a bit too. I will say that his, uh, you know, they confirmed, uh, I think a week or two ago, Apple said that they have um, renewed foundation for season two. Yeah. So regardless of, you know, whether, uh, you know, the, 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 regardless how many people are watching this season, what the critics say, we are going to get guaranteed a second season. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually you know, almost every show I watch, you know, you learn a lot about making the show the first season and things kind of gets kind of smooth and gel more and the plot lines start to come together. So I'm glad I was really worried that like it might be one and done because, you know, who knows what Apple's metrics are and some prominent TV critics are yeah. kind of, you know, not panned it, but said it's kind of like, eh. Um, so I'm I'm glad we're going to get at least two seasons of this thing. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how the pacing goes out. Um, related to this. I've read the first, I read the original three book trilogy and the curveball they throw psychohistory and I think the third book and, and they've already name checked it in the very beginning of the episode and she's listing off names of people and she, she mentions yeah. uh, the mule. So the mule is in the first psychic with precognition in the foundation galaxy. And because it was an unknown type of person who can for, you know, see into the future and thus affect it, there's like this big shadow cast over psycho history of like uh, uncertainty and doubt. Um, and a lot of the third book is revolving. Um, does Harry have a plan for the uh, unplannable? Is there a way that you can get the uh, predictions on track? Is there a variable that you like, you know, the relativity, you know, you had the special relativity and then you had the general that kind of explained everything. Is there some kind of, you know, that form of cycle history where you put a new variable for precogs and, and you can still kind of like get back the the, the, the history going and, and uh, accounted for. Um, it's wild that they, are bringing that stuff like right away. Like it seems obvious to me that they are hinting with Gail, especially, yeah. you know, the fact she has bad feelings and she has like, you know, premonitions and stuff and, and like waking Salver, up like, during the, the transport. Yeah. A hundred percent. And Salver, she already you know, is doing these like crazy things with the coin flipping and the fact that she can kind of divine what fa- was going on at fair mind and her history and all that stuff. seems like they're tackling that stuff front and center which is such a huge change. Like, I wonder like what other kind of like butterfly flaps are going to, you know, instead of that being like the last reveal um, or the last kind of challenge that it's kind of woven into the story at the beginning. Um, I'm that that's the thing that I find the most fascinating about the pacing like that's Gotcha. That's pretty, pretty wild. 
That's big. Uh, I haven't read that third book, but I am super fascinated by the concept of a, a predictive engine, essentially, f- through psychohistory that then runs sort of smack face into borderline magical human evolution or or yeah like like yeah borderline magical power to predict the future um and see the future i and and the potential so maybe what harry selden is getting up to here if i can do a little theory crafting by bringing gail in and talking about her being special is if she is the mule she is that character with pre precognition Mm. if he can convert her to his quote-unquote religion here of psychohistory Right, add her and use her as a tool yeah. to further his plan. That might be all he needs to do, right? If he can co-opt the un- unpredictable element into the plan and set it on course for the plan itself, maybe that is enough. And see, this makes a lot of sense with her talk about like looking at cycle history. It seems like there's a piece, couple pieces missing. She could be the piece. Her and Salver, this new race of you know psychic uh, potential humans. Um, could yeah. be that missing piece that like Harry's already kind of accounted for. And that's why he selected her. That's why. Right. It's, it's all super interesting. It's just so like, again, it's, it's such a remix. Like they're really playing jazz with the material, which again, I appreciate. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I've definitely liked uh, adaptations have been right down the middle, like the first few episodes or first few seasons of game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, broadly speaking. <laughs> I also like it when like leftovers, one of my favorite series very loosely the first season based on the first book the entirety of the first book uh i don't know if you know this two more seasons of leftovers so like that's a perfect example of something that kind of really plays jazz but so, you're, but uh, in then, game of then thrones walking dead is the worst case scenario where they kind <laughs> right. of pretty much do the former except for they just change things just to you know amuse the comic book readers i guess so it's, yeah. it remains to be seen where they're going with foundation I think in stuff like Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, stuff where you have adaptations of works, they're already very rich. You know, um, it, yeah. I don't think anybody would call Foundation exciting or a rich experience. I, I, I think they would call it extraordinarily dry, but intellectually mm. uh, titillating. Right. I, yes. That, that's what Foundation is to me. But like. That like doesn't quite the, work the on television. Scrolls. Right. I don't want that yeah. show on television, right? The adaptation of yeah. a show like this is so difficult because it, far more difficult than those other shows because none of that is in there. They've got to make it oh, all up. That book is not cinematic at no, all. No. Uh, and so to convert it to something you have to watch is a monumental task and it's going to require this kind of mix up stuff. So I'm right. I'm taking the series for what it is. I will be excited if they get through one book or three books or all the books by the end of this series. Whatever. I just want a compelling story that in which the themes of the foundation novel novels resonate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final point, uh, this came out of uh, David uh, Goyer's podcast, the official one. Uh, Jason Conception asked him, what is in the vault? Or what is the nature of the vault? And I thought Goyer is going to say, go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, the library of Babel, which is a literary illusion. And I'm like, hot yeah. damn. So I don't know about you. I went to Wikipedia, typed in library of Babel. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is this is what they say. 
The Library of Babel is a short story by Argentine author and librarian Jorge Luis Borges, conceiving of a universe in the form of a vast library containing all possible 410-page books of a certain format and character set. Uh, um, Borges' narrator describes how his universe consists of an enormous expanse of adjacent hexagonal rooms. Hexonical? Hexonical. In each room, there's an entrance on one wall, the bare necessities it's for human survival. Hexagonal, if you want to hexagonal. say it correctly. Thank yeah. you. Yes, I, 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 I don't really care to, but it's nice to get on the record. Uh, and then you have the bare necessity of a human survival on the other wall, and then you have four walls of bookshelves. Through the order and content of the uh, books are random and apparently completely meaningless, the inhabitants of this world believe the books contain every possible ordering of just 25 basic characters. In, in this language, you got 22 Letters, period, comma, and space. Though the vast majority of the books in the universe are pure gibberish, the library must also contain, somewhere, every coherent book that's ever been written, or might ever be written, and every possible permutation or slightly erroneous version of every one of those books. Their narrator notes in that format, right? With that alphabet, or that with that character set in that length. Yeah, right. The narrator notes that the library must contain all useful information, including predictions of the future, biographies of any person, translations of every book in all languages. Conversely, for many of the texts, some languages could be devised that would make it readable with any of a vast number of different contents. Despite or indeed because of this glut of information, all books are totally useless to the reader, leaving the librarians in a state of suicidal despair. <laughs> this leads some librarians to superstitious and cult-like behaviors. Eh? Uh, such as the purifiers who arbitrarily destroy books that they deem as nonsense as they scour through the library seeking the crimson hexagon and its illustrated magical books. Others believe that since all books exist in libraries somewhere, one of the books must be a perfect index of the library's contents. Some even believe that's a messianic figure known only as the man of the book has read it and as they travel through this library seeking him. Now, I've read Foundation. I think I got a pretty good handle of what the uh, uh, <laughs> the vault, what is. The vault yeah. is. And this is super fucking cool. It, this is a very. really cool uh, sci-fi concept on the order of psycho history by itself. But it's not the vault that I know of in the book. The vault is also not a coffin containing the body of Harry Selden. What, what do you make of this, man? So... so- is this is what's in the vault a data set of all possible outcomes that when combined with the prime radiant is somehow the key to psychohistory and interpreting the prime it? radiant the crimson hexagon it, because right. like psychohistory could with the right variables probably run forward and backwards and predict anything you know yeah my god this book sounds fucking fascinating i have to read library of babel now um because my mind runs wild like well okay you've already got a subset right it's a 410 page uh with 22 character or 25 character uh set here so it's already a limited number of infinity you can further mm. reduce that by examining history and seeing which of these books accurately describes the events of history and then limit it to a subset of that as as useful information and then track that somehow into the future and see which books I, I don't know. This is a fascinating idea, especially with the concepts of psychohistory um, yeah. and in its predictive power, right? And how you would ever be sure to any degree that, that one book, one outcome was the one that was really going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, we're, we're not trying to nakedly spoil the show. So even in the spoiler section, I see no reason to tell you what the... Uh, 
vault really is just because you know some some of you people can't yeah. help yourselves but yeah i find like i said this is a this is a fascinating concept of its own that like uh in this vault contains like every permutation possibly that could possibly happen and the prime radiant is like a rosetta stone right that can kind of point and guide you to like which one which which version of reality is true or is it the missing puzzle piece Mm-hmm. That uh, Raish is referring to that they're they have faith that it's going to show up. Uh, I yeah, they're also playing a very dangerous game with book fans. I mean, I, I don't know, fuck it, right? Because book fans are already not on board with the show. It to a and large also degree. they're a vanishingly small percentage of the human population. Like, right? Yeah. How many know, people have read the sci-fi novel from a hundred years ago? Not not a ton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but they are like the people who are fans of Foundation, the novels. Um, mm. Some of them are already up in arms, but a lot of them would probably oh, be yeah, up in arms if you are, significantly yeah. change the nature of the vault. So I wonder mm. if they're going to do this as like a dual purpose sort of thing. Like, yes, it contains the vault as we know it in the books, but also there's another layer to it, right? Yeah. Well, especially this thing, like, the man of the book seems like it's an obvious, like you just map Harry Seldon right onto that, but he's a dead right. man. Yeah. Um, traveling through the cosmos in a custom coffin that just happens to look like the vault. Yeah. Um, yeah but he's still curious. dead. Yeah. He's still dead. Like, unless they're going to resurrect. Like I said, I mean, I, you know, I mean, they're talking uh, about destruction and rebirth in this episode. So I'm telling you, it's, it's Foundation 3 to search for Selden. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> we just need uh, Kirk and the Klingon punching themselves over some kind of volcano. Mm hmm. Uh, like the end of the Lord of the Ring. I Can I ask complete. you, do you, do you know how many pages Library of Babel is? Is it 410 pages long? I hope so. Uh, I mean, what would that even mean? <laughs> uh, because like, it's surprisingly depends on the translation, the width yeah. of the pages. Yeah, like, yeah, I, the I don't see length of the scroll. Number. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they they padded it. All, all versions of the, uh, the, the Library of Babel are exactly for, they force it to be yeah. 410. So, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I also want to read more about this. Uh, I, I, I want to see how long it is because if it's a short story or novella, I, I might be able to polish this off before the end of the season. So, yeah, uh, for sure. Especially if it's going to be such an important key to understanding the stuff going forward. Mm-hmm. So, God damn it, Goyer giving me homework? Jesus. Uh, I love it. He's that? introducing me to things that I've not heard of that are fascinating. Yeah, and that, that reminds me a lot of like Westworld and, and uh, The Leftovers where it's like the shit I learned along the way just researching into the themes of the episode, the show is almost as valuable and fun as the show itself. Yeah, the, the so, quest for knowledge, right? It's all in this episode. It is. It's <laughs> the most noble endeavor that the human can engage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just sitting on my ass watching television. <laughs> Being noble. Uh, do you got anything more to say or are we going to let these people go? That's it. All right. Foundation of baldmove.com to get your feedback in. We'll have a feedback show tomorrow. Uh, also, make sure you put in Goyer, G O Y E R, if you want to get a question in for David, because uh, we'll be talking to him Friday morning. And please get that to me before Friday morning, because uh, I'll probably get up early and compile it so I get it all ready to go. Uh, thanks for listening. Really appreciate uh, you guys uh, stopping by, giving a listen, sending in your feedback. It makes the show that much better. Uh, can't wait to see what happens next week. And until then, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>